we got up, the children all got up here. I looked around and we didn't see Sam. And I asked Ken, I says, have you seen Sam? And he isn't here yet. So I decided, well, maybe I better tell the story. Maybe Evangelina got sick or something. And uh, so I apologize, Sam. Whoever is this month's, make sure you invite Sam back again and have him tell a story because he's a good storyteller. Far better than me trying to come up with one at the last second. Thanks, Sam. Next week? Oh, good. Well, keep me in sight. Wow. The Lord is good, isn't he? It's been an eventful week. Jean found out, as you heard in the prayer, that her uncle, which is the last living one of that generation, is on his deathbed up in Spokane, Washington. If he dies, uh, we're going to go up there. We'll try to stay away from Butte, Montana and the elk. Because uh, the last time we went up there for a funeral, an elk ran into us. Someone said this last week, you know, Pastor, I can't wait till you go on vacation again so you can tell something exciting that happens because it's always an eventful happening that takes place when you go somewhere. It makes you want to stay in bed and cover up, doesn't it? But we do travel. Some of you travel as well, too, and you go places and you visit. We have a lot of visitors that are here today, and I want to say welcome. We're glad that you're here. And uh, if you feel comfortable in making this your home, um, you're welcome to be here. Uh, We just love to praise God here and to open up his word. Let's just bow our heads in prayer for a moment. Lord, we just pray as you anoint me with your Holy Spirit, that the words that come out are not just my words, but they're heavenly words. Words that come directly from your throne room that was meant for us specifically today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've ever traveled, sometimes you visit other churches, maybe the churches that you've never been to before, maybe other Adventist churches you've never been to before. Sometimes when you get there and you go through the church service and you get in your car and you leave, you say, I'll never ever go to that church again. What is it that makes it so bad? Is it the church building? I've met in some pretty bad church buildings, but I'd go back to them again. So it isn't a church building. It isn't the grass outside. It isn't a lot of these things. Why don't you turn this one off as well too, above the piano. Many times it's the people. Most of the time. Somebody has traveled a lot. And you're right. Uh, A lot of times it is the people that represent Christ, or supposed to, but they are not doing a good job of it. Now, I just heard of a church just recently that has hired a professional to come in, the pastor, to be able to teach the church how to be more hospitable. Isn't that a shame you have to hire somebody to come in to teach them how to be hospitable? I've known some churches that they need to get someone to come in. I had a church like that once. I had a church where I was giving Bible studies. Every Bible study that I gave in the community 
turned away and walked away from the church when they came to the church for the first time because of the rejection, because of things that were said that should never have been said. I had one lady that, that I, lovely lady, had was a former Adventist, had dropped out of the church, was coming back. Her husband, who was never an Adventist, was interested in the church. And uh, it was a nice black couple. Her stepfather was the, the um, civil rights attorney for Mayor Tom Bradley of Los Angeles when Mayor Bradley was, was there. So very prominent well-to-do people. And I finally got her to come to church for the first time. The very first time. Hadn't been in an Adventist church for years. We had a wonderful time with Bible studies. Came to the church, and my head elder saw her come. He gave her a bulletin and said, I think you would be better off being with your people over in this church that was 30 miles away. I wonder why she never came back. Never saw her again. Tried to get in touch with her, and she never came back. You know, the Lord knows that things like this happens. And it isn't because we intend to be that way. You know, we don't wake up and say, I'm going to be grouchy today. For some of us, it just comes natural. For others, it's just events that are going on, or we just assume that the rest of the church, this is a large church, a lot of people, I don't need to do something or say something. But we're a body, and the body must work in harmony with each other, and Jesus must be the head of the body. There's an important prayer, and Linda read the prayer, we call it the Lord's Prayer, But there's a phrase in that prayer that is very important. And it's in the red parentheses that says, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. This phrase is actually a phrase used by servants who have a boss or a master, bond servant, the Bible calls it servants, Some Bibles may even call them slaves. We don't like that term because it brings bad memories. But it's someone who works for someone else. And that servant, that that, uh, boss, that, that master, whatever you want to call him, is living in another country. But when you are here in this country, away from him, it could be a long ways off, you're making a commitment. And that commitment is is that I'm going to do here for you what you would want me to do if I was with you there in your country. And it is a very important commitment, so important that Jesus says when the disciples ask him, you know, how do you pray? He wants that phrase included because he knows that we need that strength within our lives. We need the ability from God the Father to be able to demonstrate, and we had that in our Sabbath school lessons, we call it faithfulness, to be faithful, to be his representative within this church. We are here to serve whatever he asks us to do. Now, there are three things that we're going to look at from the Apostle Paul 
And we need to make this commitment to follow Jesus. That's the first thing. The second thing we're going to look at is that my life is a public display of Jesus. He's in heaven, but I'm going to display Jesus here on this earth. And then the third thing that we're going to look at is to we have to be willing to empty ourselves and other influences and desires that block us from being that representative within our church. Because there are visitors that are here today that are going to make up their minds as to whether they're going to come back or not. Or maybe they will go back to their home church and they're going to share with other people and they're going to say, look, if you ever go to Southern California, go to the Beaumont Church. Or they're going to say, stay away from the Beaumont Church. It's going to be one or the other. And so we need this type of a thing. The Lord knows we need that. And that's what the Apostle Paul is going to share with us as we look in 2 Corinthians. Let me give you a little background about Corinthians. The Corinthians church, we still have ruins today of the Corinthian church. It was a big seaport uh, area. Uh, a lot of ships came in. A lot of nationalities were in the city of Corinth. And uh, there was a lot of influences within that city. Uh, a lot of power, a lot of money, uh, a lot of things taking place. One of the things that was there was a form of worship that was worshiping a fertility god. And uh, this is one of the statues of one of the things that they worship. But what was about that, well, let's look. Here's actually one of the temples. One of the things about it was that the the temples were run by priestess. And they weren't uh, uplifting the God of heaven. They were uplifting immorality, if you know what I mean. And I hope I don't have to get very explicit here. We got little kids. But it was a huge influence on all the people in that area. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians had a problem with them because they didn't want to break away from their old ways of life and the things that were exciting to that they wanted to do. But uh, he persisted and he continued with them and there was a change that took place. But Paul had to do a little changing himself in the way that he presented things to people. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 2 and 4. Paul's saying here, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul trembling? And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The Apostle Paul changed his tactics. When he went to Athens, he went head on with philosophy, using philosophy to try to get these philosophers to change their ideas. He looked at science. He, he, he was very eloquent, very educated, and he hit them where he thought that they needed with the science of the day and the understanding and the philosophy of the day. He wasn't very successful. So when he came to Corinth, 
he changed his tactics. And instead of hitting it with all the big flowery words and trying to uh, show that he knows just as much, if not more, than they did, he changed his tactics and was going to demonstrate to them the life of God. How to live that life. He made his life a sermon that was probably more effective than the words that he used in Athens itself. So we want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he's talking to the people. Now they've begun to change. And they're wanting to be a good church in the area where all the negative influences were in that city. And so he's sharing with them. And here's what he's sharing. He's saying, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants. Some say in New American Standard says bond servants. Your servants for Jesus' sake. What is he saying? He says that you need to be committed to be to serving Christ. That your life every day is a sermon to someone somewhere. Could be your neighbor, could be your children, someone within the church. So you're going to be demonstrating, but you have to have some type of a commitment. And that commitment is to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, to be a servant, that means he's in heaven and you're here. So you have to pray that prayer. Thy will be done in earth as we would be doing it in heaven if I was there with you. Does that make sense? So that is a strong commitment that you yourself have to make also to pray to God to be able to help you to, to fulfill that commitment. Because your life, whether you know it or not, is going to affect somebody else. They're going to observe you. Every time I go outside of my house, my neighbors can determine whether I'm a servant of God or just some old guy that's pretending to to be a Christian but really isn't. And my neighbors know more about my wife and I in that community than, than we know. They know where we go. They know the time we leave to come to church. They know everything about us. And so as I make that commitment, I must realize that that commitment is going to shine through my life. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.15. It says, He, and it's talking about Jesus, died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. What that is saying is, I've got to come to a point where it's not my life that counts, it's Christ's life in me. Does that make sense? I am live, I'm to live a life here on this earth that demonstrates Jesus. The words that I speak should be the words that if Jesus was here would be speaking to the visitor that would come. Same way with my neighbor. Same way with my children. With my spouse. Am I uplifting them? Am I uplifting Christ when I speak to my spouse? Oh, I've gone to meddling, haven't I? 
But it's not my life that counts. It's Jesus. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you know what he's saying here? He's saying that others are to see the light of the glory of Jesus in us. Without Jesus, we live a life of darkness. There's nothing about us that really attracts other people. Well, it might be for momentary things or for selfish reasons. But when I live a life here of Jesus, they're not attracted to me. They're attracted to the light of Jesus that's living in me. And that is an important thing. That is very important when it comes to people coming to our church. But it's not in the big things. I'm not saying that you need to stand up, each one of you right now, and I'll hand the microphone to you and you can preach a sermon. Some of you can do it and some of you can't. But it's the little things in our life. It's the little things that sometimes we don't even realize is going on. Let me give you an example of what I mean. We're getting ready to, in a little bit to be able to have a nice meal. Visitors, you're welcome to come and to eat. We've got some of the best cooks in the world that come to our church. When we go and we sit down, we need to be representing Christ at the meal table. Am I right? I mean, these ladies and sometimes gentlemen have fixed meals and they've spent a long time and they've really worked hard to bring their dish and to bring it to the church. But here's where we sometimes can ruin the effect of the visitor that comes. When we quickly get up in the line and we pile our plates so high, and then before the, uh, the, the line can get through, we're up there for seconds, man, I'm going to get my money's worth out of this meal. And it's a free meal. We're representing Christ, even in what we eat and how much we eat. And then the ladies come and they bring out the dessert. And we want to make sure we get our fair share of the dessert. And my wife will say, but we've got visitors here. We need to make sure that everybody gets something. Well, I brought those brownies. Or I know who made those brownies. Who are you to tell me what to do? Do you see the messages coming across? If we're intemperate, if we take more and not worry about anyone else, we call it fellowship meal. What is supposed to be the emphasis of a fellowship meal? Fellowship. The meal is secondary. Otherwise, we call it meal fellowship. It's the fellowship. But it's hard to talk and to fellowship with someone when our mouth is stuffed full. It's even harder when you're finished with your dessert and the ladies that are there that needs help cleaning up and you, I'm not going to do that, and get in your car and leave. You know what's even worse? Isolating the visitor to where they're sitting alone. 
because I've got to sit with my friend. I haven't seen him since last week. And so sometimes, we don't mean to, but sometimes we ignore the visitor. And then we wonder why they say, I'll never go back to that church again. You've been there. You've gone and visited other churches. You know what I'm talking about. You've had it happen to you. You are preaching a sermon. It is your life. You are committed to let the light of Jesus shine through you. Let me ask you a question. Would Jesus be the first in line at a fellowship meal? Would Jesus stack his plate up high so that you can get what you want and and uh, let the other people fend for themselves that are at the back of the line? Would he do that? Would Jesus ignore a visitor? Would Jesus take ten pieces of dessert? If he wouldn't do it, what makes us think that we should? We are to be a living message to be able to show to this world that we believe that Jesus is soon to come. But we are giving a message sometimes in our church that we don't care about the people as to whether they are a part of Jesus' family or not. I want to make sure that I'm the first in line in the great dinner that's going to take place in heaven. And I'm going to get all that heavenly food. That's really what we're saying here. Hmm. Pastor, you're supposed to preach the Word, not to step on toes. Well, I am preaching the Word. Do unto others the same as Jesus would do for you. Isn't that right? That is to be our sermon, is others first. Just as Jesus would think of others first. Do you know that Jesus was thinking of us when he died on the cross? He died that we might live. He was thinking of us first. And that's what the Apostle Paul is telling us. Look what Jesus says, Matthew 25, verses 33 to 36. It says that he, that's the, the great shepherd, will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. Can't give it to him if you eat it first. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. Not if you hog up the drinks. I was a stranger, and you took me in. That doesn't sound like you're ignoring someone. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Matthew 25, verse 40. The king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, and inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Jesus is the good shepherd. And he's just asking you to do here on earth what he himself would do if he was here. In the big things and the little things. For you are a sermon. It takes a commitment that I'm going to do those things. It's a, it's a thought process. The other thing that we've got to do, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5, we preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord. We're not to uplift self and selfishness. We're to uplift Jesus. 
That means that we have to die to self. Because self, every time when I get up in the morning, self takes control. It's automatic. You don't even have to think about it. But the Apostle Paul says that we have to die to self daily. Some of us have to die hourly. Some of us have to die minutely. And then you've got a few preachers that have to die every second. But it's in all of us. Self wants to control. By the way, in a couple of weeks, in our Wednesday night Bible study group that we have, we're going to take a look at a video series, and then we're afterwards we're going to have time to question and to talk and discuss about it on this whole concept of dying to self so that we can live for Christ. Because that is mandatory, really, for God's people in the last days. I think one of the things that stops us from really experiencing the full power of Jesus is that we still allow self to rule. And we can't do that anymore. Because self cannot rule. Jesus has to. If I'm going to get through the uh, hard times that, that we know is going to take place before Jesus comes, I have to have Jesus be in control of my life or I'm not going to make it. And so we need to learn to die to self. That's very important. Look at 2 Corinthians 4 verse 10. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. What does he mean when we have this dying in our bodies, the Lord Jesus? Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The importance of dying to self. Crucify self. So it is no longer I that's in control, but it's Christ that's in control. When I am here at the church, it is no longer I. I don't worry about well, what, if, what will the visitor think of me if I was to say something and it was wrong? What if the visitor doesn't like the way that I dress? What if the visitor doesn't like how I look? That doesn't matter. We've got to die to that type of thinking. What matters is, can that visitor see Jesus in me? Can, he, can Jesus have such control in me that it is no longer I who lives, but Jesus lives inside of me? He's the one that's controlling my life. Can they see that in me? Again, that's faithfulness that we studied about in our Sabbath school lesson. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not us. Do you know that you're an earthen vessel? But what you have to have inside of you is not you shining forth. What you have to have is that you have to be filled with the living water, which is Jesus. That is the power. That is what needs to take place within you. That's what the people see. That's what's going to determine whether people are going to come back or whether they're going to stay away. Folks, we are to win people to Christ, not scare them off. And in order to win them to Christ... They have to see Christ in us, the living water. And they, and they have to see his power within us. 
one of the greatest, most powerful things that you have at your fingertips is the power of prayer. Brothers and sisters, there are people that will come here that will visit that are hurting. You're hurting. We all need to be praying for each other and to pray for the stranger that comes within our group. We need to be uplifting people in prayer in such a way that we will begin to see the power of God working in a mighty way, more than we've ever seen before. But the average Seventh-day Adventist, I'm sorry to say, the average Seventh-day Adventist now spends less than five minutes in prayer per day. Five minutes. Jesus sometimes spent all night. Have you ever been in prayer all night long? I've had to do that before with some major crisis that had happened in a church. And I and the elders stayed up all night fasting and praying and studying the scriptures. You know what? The next day I had strength to be able to do all the work that I had. I didn't miss any of that sleep. It's by the power of God. It's not by my own strength. I would fall asleep after being up all night long. So we're clay vessels. And we're to be filled with the living water, which is Jesus. And the people are to come and to take that drink of the living water. Guess where it's going to come from? Us. Through the power of Christ. Oh, brothers and sisters, it says in John 17, verse 23, Jesus says, I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. How are we to treat others? We're to love them just as much as we know that Jesus loves us. That's a powerful witness. It doesn't come automatically, but you need to be continually in prayer. That's why it was part of the Lord's Prayer. We are to let others see the light of Jesus shining in you. I wish that that experience with that lady that came to my church never happened, but it did. I hope there was enough light that was shining through me that even though the church had turned against her, the, the elder had turned against her and tried to get her to go someplace else. The same church, by the way, had a fellowship meal and one of the visitors was coming in and the lady closed the door in front of her and says, this is just for the church, this is not for visitors. I hope that in the witness in that church that I was such a light that people saw Jesus in me and will not hold that and keep them out of the kingdom of heaven. But we need to work together. We are the body of Christ. So that means the person you're sitting next to you, you're giving them a message, some type of a message. I went into a church one time, I was visiting a church, and I went in and I sat down in church, and there was a, a family that was sitting there, and I just sat down in a pew, and there was a space between us, they turned and they looked at me and then the whole family got up and moved over. And I was the only person sitting in that pew. Whoa, what a message. What is this church trying to tell me? They didn't know who I was. I didn't know who they were. But it was a strong sermon that they preached me, preached to me. I didn't hear what the preacher said up front. Because my mind was on 
Did I take a bath? Yeah, I took a shower. Couldn't be that. Jesus is coming so soon that I think a lot of us don't realize how soon it's going to be. The Bible says he's going to come like a thief, unexpectedly. We don't know the day or the hour. But what we do know is that we are here as God's people. And so something has to change in the church, in ourselves. I can't change an entire church, but you can make a commitment. A commitment that I am going to be a representative that is only going to show Jesus. But pastor, I am shy. Yeah? Some of the best preachers in the world are shy people. Because it's their love that just kind of just comes out. They may not be able to say the right words, but you just know they care. Just even a warm handshake means a lot. But pastor, I'm not educated. I learned more from a man who only had an eighth grade education about the Bible than I learned from the PhDs that taught me at the seminary. Because he was sincere. And he was a man that you could just see that loved Jesus. That was a sermon to me. But pastor, I, I don't have that much money. We're to be an earthen vessel. An earthen vessel is just clay. That doesn't cost much. Unless you go to Home Depot. I'm to be just that simple instrument. It's, it's not my status or my power that makes me powerful. It's my Jesus. He's my power. He's my strength. He's my ability. He's my Savior. He's the one I'm going to live with throughout all eternity. And he's saying, you know, all I want you to do is just put yourself aside for a moment and to let me shine through you to these people that are coming. Someone said this morning, where are all these people coming from, these new people that are coming to church? How are they hearing about this church? I'll tell you how they're hearing. They're hearing Jesus speak through its members. They're hearing Jesus that's being taught. We're not here to entertain. We're here to learn how to be ready for the soon coming of Jesus. We're all here in the same boat, aren't we? This is the ark. All who wants to be saved must come in. We're the ark. Some of us look like baboons. But it doesn't make any difference. We're all here because we love Jesus. We need to make that commitment, don't you think? I want to have prayer in just a bit, but we're going to sing the closing song because it is a commitment that we're going to have that we need to be faithful. But there may be some of you that just said, you know, you kind of touched my heart and uh, I need this prayer like the disciples said when Jesus, they asked him to teach them how to pray because they felt the need that maybe their connection wasn't quite there.
And maybe you feel a need that your connection is not quite there and you'd say, Pastor, I just want you to come and and let's pray together. I just need that strength. I need need to make remake that commitment, whatever it might be. I want to to be this witness. I need to give up some things in my life. Maybe some of you need to give up your life and want to be baptized. And we can work at that as well too. But as we sing this song and you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart and say, hey, get up there. Don't just sit back. You're making a commitment. You're going to let Jesus shine. Because your strength to come up here as we pray is going to be a message to someone else that's sitting back there that says, you know, I need prayer too. And I want to come up. So let's turn in our hymnals to hymn number 602. And let's stand as we sing together. And if you feel the Holy Spirit working within your heart, just come up. I want to pray with you.
Shall we pray? And if anyone else feels the need to come down here, just slip out and sneak down here. We won't tell anyone. Let's just bow our heads. Father, in my Sabbath school class, we studied about Elijah throwing the mantle onto Elisha's shoulders. The mantle has been thrown on the shoulders of these individuals that are here. They're willing to make a commitment for you. They want to die to self, their habits, their problems, their misunderstandings, their thoughts, their actions. They want to set all that aside and allow the Spirit of Christ to shine through in them right now. May the living water of Jesus be with them to satisfy their thirst, but to also to satisfy the thirst in others who will see them because they will not be the same today. They will be different because Jesus is in control right now. Father, the devil's going to be angry. We've, we've had that before. He's going to try to do everything to break this commitment. He's going to try to do everything to discourage these individuals. He's going to try to do everything to keep all of us, the body of Christ, from letting Jesus shine to the visitors, to the strangers, to anyone who come and is a part of our life. Don't allow that to take place. We want to be the true messengers of Jesus in this dark world because we know that Jesus is coming soon. And we want to be ready and we want our loved ones and our friends and even the strangers to be ready. Speak that sermon through our lives now is our prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen.